Hey, I'm Todd Wilson, the founder of Exponential. Welcome to another one of our book reviews today. Uh, I am thrilled to have with me Henry Kastner. Henry, great to have you today. Todd, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. Yeah. Henry is the author uh, of The Faith-Driven Entrepreneur. We're going to talk about his book today. Um, Henry and I actually have quite a few overlaps. I've recently moved to the Raleigh-Durham area, and Henry spent a good amount of time there and founded, I think, two companies there, didn't you? Two, three companies probably in that in that area, if I have your bio right. Yes. Uh, so tell us just briefly, just a, in a nutshell, the, the companies here. I know Bandwidth and a couple of companies here locally. Yeah, I've um so I moved down to North Carolina from New York City in 1997 and started a company called Chapel Hill Brokers, which was an institutional broker of electricity derivatives, and then sold that to uh, what became something called ICAP and started a company called Bandwidth International, uh, which was in, uh, in the marketplace and the trading of bandwidth spectrum and lit and dark circuits, which is kind of a strange niche place to be and did that out of Chapel Hill in London. And then in 2000, together with David Morgan, started a company called Bandwidth. And Bandwidth is a telecommunications provider that's uh, that's now based in Raleigh, but started off in Chapel Hill, then moved to Durham and, and then to Raleigh. And Henry, you're in Silicon Valley now, or where are you living now? Yes, I live in Los Gatos, California. So just outside of San Jose. So what would uh, take a Carolina Tar Heel person who's had an affinity in North Carolina uh, away from North Carolina to California? Well, it's a question I get asked a lot by people who live under the same roof as I do. Uh, <laughs> you know, North Carolina was heaven. Um, and, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, Kimberly and the boys knew and were loved by so many different people. And they, they in turn loved on so many folks within our church family and within the work community, but really it's a sense of calling. And over the last six years, uh, we felt a sense of calling to come out here. Um, uh, I feel primarily called to working with faith-driven entrepreneurs, encouraging men and women driven by their Christian faith who found themselves starting businesses and helping them to understand what it looks like to harness that creative power, the fact that they're creating the image of this creative God, and then to run a business in a way that glorifies God. And while they themselves get a chance to know God more fully through the entrepreneurial process. So Silicon Valley is an entrepreneurial headquarters for that. Uh, I also started a firm called Sovereign's Capital, uh, which is 10 years old now, that invests in faith-driven entrepreneurs in Southeast Asia, which is a lot closer to, to Silicon Valley here than it is to North Carolina. And with a young family, I wanted to make sure that I spent weekends here. So uh, much easier to get to Indonesia. And Sovereign's Capital invests in uh, more than 60 faith-driven entrepreneurs in Southeast Asia and Indonesia, Singapore, and then also the United States. So that was another reason to come out here is I was honing my craft of investing in venture capital. So out of all those things, Henry, what what does the allocation of your time look like these days, you know, between the faith-driven entrepreneur and writing and and the business and different things? Yeah. So um, I'm very, very fortunate and blessed to have some amazing friends and leaders to help run the different entrepreneurial things that I'd like to get started. So uh, on the work side, uh, and to be clear, I'm really just a um, just a raving fan. But on the work side, David Morgan does an incredible job with bandwidth. And I know enough to be dangerous, but effectively, I'm just a cheerleader there. Uh, Sovereign's Capital is run by a guy named Luke Roush. I spend uh, maybe 25 or 30% of my time with Sovereign's Capital and in our investment um, funds and 
launching a couple of new funds this, this year. Uh, we started a ministry out here called Inklings that uh, engages with faith-driven entrepreneurs. Um, we had done something very similar in Durham. Uh, and so I spent some of my time doing that. Started a ministry called Generosity Bay Area that's run by Michelle Ruby. And uh, she works with Bay Area Christians uh, to help start a culture of radical generosity among Christ followers so that Christians are known for their generosity out here. Um, and then uh, I spend the majority of my time really with two ministries we started called Faith Driven Entrepreneur and Faith Driven Investor, both run by a guy named Justin Foreman. Um, and Faith Driven Entrepreneur, of course, you know a bit about. We're going to talk about the book, I think. And then Faith Driven Investor uh, is a ministry started uh, to help Christ-following investors understand how to participate financially in the lives of entrepreneurs, but financially, and then also discipleship and mentorship. How do we redeem, in the words of a great organization called Praxis, how do we redeem the, the uh, investment process? So I do some of that. So a bunch of different things. I'm married to Kimberly, uh, and then we have three boys, and the oldest of which on Thursday, this Thursday, goes back to school at the University of North Carolina. So we'll have a piece of us back there, too. All right. Well, um, you've kind of covered a little bit of this, but I want to start really basic if we could. Um, if you would define a faith-driven entrepreneur. So that's a great question. I get asked it a lot, and it was it's typically within the context of Sovereign's Capital, which is what are the different types of businesses and leaders you invest in? And uh, the answer is is pretty general, to be clear. But it is a man or a woman that is driven by their faith and wants to run their business for the glory of God. Across 60 different portfolio companies and now thousands of people we work with in the ministry, there's a very large spectrum of what that looks like. There are a good number of entrepreneurs that we've invested in who are very, very far along in their discipleship journey. And a lot of times when I'll visit a Mark Sears in Nepal, or now he spends a lot of his time in Durham, I find myself being mentored and disciple, just spending time with him and hearing how he processes the way that God is working in his business. On the other end of the spectrum might be uh, young entrepreneurs who say, look, I don't even know if, if, if even half of my employees know that I'm a Christian, but I do want to run my business to the glory of God. I just have no idea what that even looks like. So a very wide spectrum. But again, the unifying premise being that there is a willingness and a basic theological understanding that yes, my business matters to God. And if I run my business according to the glory of God, I'll stand a better chance of feeling his pleasure, feeling rewarded and fulfilled, finding joy and peace, and then um, being more in sync with what I know is the most important things. And yet, I'm not even really sure what that even looks like yet. Those are, that's our tribe, so to speak. Talk, talk just for a few minutes about how you serve faith-driven entrepreneurs. We will get to the book in a couple of minutes, but I want to kind of yeah, set yeah. the context. Yeah. Uh, and so the book is brand new. So I, I'm much more versed in some of the things that we have done. And I'll tell you, if I can, just a little bit of an origin story, which will tell you a little mm -hmm. bit about why we got started. So um, at Sovereigns, um, for the first couple of years, it was, it was tough going because we couldn't find businesses to invest in. Again, wanted to bring God glory. But then the word got out. And two or three years in, we experienced our first problem. And that is that we found ourselves saying no the 99 out of 100 businesses that came to us for financing. You know, it's the wrong stage or it's the wrong industry or it's the wrong geography. And we really wanted to invest what we really knew in. And we were started by a team of operators and we had specific expertise in different areas. And um, there's a guy named Anatol Melanchia that came in and he really uh, was a great 
this pivotal moment, I guess I should say, of this trend that I'd been seeing and that been feeling increasingly uncomfortable with because we were saying no to 99 out of 100. And if you got into the business as we did to be an encouragement to faith-driven entrepreneurs and you say no that many times, that's a problem. It's, by the way, that's what US, US venture partners or battery or Sequoia, they had the same type of ratio. But again, we were driven by our faith. And so there's a guy named Anatole Melanchi that came in. He said, hey, I've got a business I'd love for you to invest in. And I said, okay, tell me a little bit about it. He said, well, it's in real estate and it's in Moldova. And I remember thinking at the time, uh, I don't even know how to calculate a cap rate. So we definitely shouldn't be investing in real estate. And I'm not even really sure Moldova is a country. <laughs> now, as it turns out, it is, of course, a country. But uh, I said, Anton, I'm just so sorry. Just, we just, we can't invest in you. We just don't understand the space. And he wouldn't let me go. And he said, but you have to know that in Moldova, they're not, there's not like an older generation of people that we can learn from about how to hire a partner and how to let people go well and how to even think about comp plans or intellectual property and all that. And will you just spend some time with me and talk, talk to me about the lessons you've learned? And so I remember just the feeling I had at the time, a one of, gosh, I wish this guy would have let me go earlier. I've got so many things to go to do. But this time the Holy Spirit just, just really provoked me into saying, okay, yes, let's spend some time together. And so that next week we did, and I shared with him some of the lessons that God had taught us at Bandwidth and some that we'd learned over the time of the portfolio. And I wrote them down in preparation for our Skype meeting. And I thought, because I love scale, I thought, well, gosh, if I'm going to write this all down in an outline, maybe I can put it up on a website in a way that the next time an Antal comes in, I can share with them some of these stories. And I'd always wanted to do a podcast. I love hearing other people's stories as they've wrestled through how does faith manifest itself in their company. So we started a website with that outline, and then we started a podcast. And now we're 175, 180 episodes into the podcast. And, um, and that's how we got started. But how do we say so your question wasn't how we got started. Your question is, what do we do? So we have a blog. We've had more than a thousand blogs. We do a daily blog. We do a weekly podcast. We have um, meetups that meet up around the country. Uh, we have an annual conference. Uh, last year, we did an experiment. We did a conference and we did uh, had a watch party in North Carolina. This year, we'll have uh, the conference uh, with folks like Lecrae and with Phil Vischer and Tim Keller and um, a bunch of really, really great speakers. We'll have that. And then we'll have 280 watch parties around the world. So a conference has become a big thing. We started, a, um, we started an online teaching with J.D. Greer, who's a, one of the co-authors of the book, uh, along with Chip Ingram. Um, and uh, we do an eight-week gathering that churches can have as they explore how to minister to the entrepreneurs in their, in their, um, in their uh, congregations. We start off with a three-minute mini documentary of a Christian entrepreneur that's, that's working in the marketplace and struggling in some cases, some cases overcoming, and then teaching by J.D. We do that. So a bunch of different things, but all along the lines of working with faith-driven entrepreneurs. Oh, the thing I should mention that's super important is that a good amount of the work that we do is to support other organizations that encourage faith-driven entrepreneurs around the world. And there are some great ones, Praxis, Ocean, uh, Synapis does such a great job in supporting emerging entrepreneurs uh, in frontier markets. Um, C12, CBMC, Convene, uh, a lot of different organizations. So we try to work with them. In some cases, particularly with those overseas, we administer grant capital to them to help them do things. So we're more, at Faith Driven Entrepreneur, 
were less about a specific organization and more about a movement. The bigger goal is that hundreds of millions of Christian business owners and entrepreneurs will come to understand how God loves them and their businesses. Uh, it's much less important that people listen to a podcast or read a book, et cetera. So if you took our, our audience is familiar with oceans as an example. So uh, ocean works with us in our exponential ventures program. What, what sorts of things for some praxis ocean, how do you support them? What, what, are you doing to support them? Just as an example. Yeah. So with, with a praxis or an ocean or a Synapis, which is, I really think about Synapis, Triga in South Africa, organizations that look a lot like if you max up praxis and ocean, and if your audience is familiar with those organizations and put them in Nairobi, you'd have Synapis and Synapis is expanded to Brazil and to Egypt. Um, it's Triga in South Africa. So um, the first thing we try to do is increase awareness about these great organizations that exist. All of them raise grant capital. All of them are looking for mentors. All of them are looking for um, more entrepreneurs that they can love in the field. Um, we also like to encourage our listeners. Uh, and then we also have a budget ourselves to provide grant capital to some of these organizations. That's another way we try to help them. And then as a part of the awareness is trying to make sure that they get in front of our audience on our podcast or our blog or our conferences. Uh, the other thing I really like doing is, you know, back to the, the grant making, is to let other grant makers know that this is a really viable and valuable strategy to bring discipleship and evangelism to America and then to emerging markets. Mm -hmm. uh, entrepreneurs, and this is, I'm preaching to the choir because you get this, you have an entrepreneurial background, you have an audience of entrepreneurs, a church planning, a church planner is, of course, an entrepreneur. Um, entrepreneurs are leaders. They're cultural change agents. They're out there and redeeming and restoring all things to take some of the language out of praxis. And there's such a, such a strategic way of being able to bring the gospel in. And so we uh, spend a lot of time talking to grant makers who otherwise think about, well, I'm focusing on youth discipleship or sports ministry or clean water, microfinance, Bible translation, all really important things. But if you're looking at a taxonomy of how you allocate resources for international evangelism and discipleship, a pure play on working with Christian business owners and entrepreneurs is what we think is a very leveraged way to bring the gospel to bear, much in the same way that those who get and support church planning organizations get. So church planning organizations can love on these faith and entrepreneurs, and then also the organizations that work hand in hand with the church. And that's one of the principles we have at Faith Driven Entrepreneur, working hand in hand with the local church, that these entrepreneurs, when discipled by their peers and with stories from other, other um, entrepreneurs that are at a similar stage, can really catalyze the, the, the Monday through Saturday discipleship in the marketplace and then help bring some of these people with them to the local church. So uh, let, let's talk directly to lead pastors right now or senior leaders of churches for this. Um, you know, most churches have this tension, Henry, of the, the come and see or come to us, the gather part of things that a lot of programming is built around that. We need to try to get as many people in on Sunday as we can. Uh, that means we've got to fill up children's ministry with workers and, you know, the, the whole manning volunteers around Talk for a minute in this idea of a faith-driven entrepreneur to a senior pastor or a senior leader 
why they should care about this. Like wh- why uh, care about releasing this capacity of faith-driven entrepreneurs? What's the, what's yeah. the motivating factor? So that's, a, that's a great question. Um, I think that the most important thing is to, is to couch it and ground it in a shared sense of mission and purpose. So um, we don't do this perfectly by any stretch, but I mentioned the fact that what's not important here is the ministry of faith-driven entrepreneur. What's important is the movement towards a goal and an end. And that is 100 million faith-driven entrepreneurs and business owners coming to understand that there's a God who loves them and that they can know God and enjoy him forever through the process and the work that they do as they're an effective witness and they do great work, et cetera. Now, I mentioned that because that bigger purpose is the thing that I think a church planner needs to tap into first, which is if you're a church planner in Memphis, Tennessee, or in Kigali, Rwanda, you have a heart for that city. You want to see that city transformed for the glory of God. You want to see people know God and, and receive the gift of life that's been given them. You want to see them being able to be an effective witness and testimony to their neighbors. That's why you're there. Making sure that you stay consistent with that goal, if that is the bigger goal, and it's not, I want to see First Presbyterian grow or just my church. If you stay focused on the bigger thing, then you can say, wow, what are the other organizations that had that same type of passion? And what are the other ways that I might be able to reach that city with the giftings that I've been given? So you're a church planner. You've been trained oftentimes in seminary. You're thoughtful about teaching and leading. Well, what does it look like to go ahead and say, how do I go ahead and provide services? How do I love on those those faith-driven business owners so they can be the hands and feet of Jesus in the marketplace? And one of the things I think you might have been getting at with your question, too, is not just that these entrepreneurs will come into our church and volunteer and run our website or direct parking or something like that. And not just that they'll come in and they'll help financially underwrite the work of our ministry, but how do I equip and empower them where they are? And part of that means actually going to them first, going out and having lunch. Like, listen, I got to tell you, I don't know a lot about medical devices. I understand you're a medical device entrepreneur. I'm not even sure what a medical device is, but you know, gosh, can I buy you lunch? And would you take me around your, your, your business? And I'd just love to learn more about what you do and, who your employees are and who your customers are. And if you're be patient enough with me, as I kind of get up the learning curve with what you do with your medical advice company, I just, I'd love to learn what you do more. Doing that would be more than 99.9% of pastors or church planners ever do. And, and let's say we could get over that hurdle to where that became normative. What, you know, that, that pastors see faith-driven entrepreneurs as everyday missionaries out in the community. What, what would you like to then, to what end, what would you like to see those lead pastors and, and leaders of churches doing with the faith entrepreneurs? I love to see them loving on them first and foremost. You know, being a faith-driven entrepreneur is remarkably lonely, just like being a church planner. Uh, being a faith-driven entrepreneur, say that CEO of a medical device company. So he's always selling something to somebody. He's selling something to his customer or to a vendor to do a deal or to his employees uh, to come on board the company or sometimes to stay. He comes home from work or she comes home from work 
And uh, their spouse asked them, how'd it go today at, at, at work? And the fate driven entrepreneur is almost selling their spouse because the spouse thinks they never should have left that great job at, at Genentech or at IBM or wherever the case is. And so first and foremost, an entrepreneur needs to come to understand there's a guy who loves them. And it doesn't matter whether they're growing or shrinking at 20% month over month. But that guy, when they see that faith-driven entrepreneur sees their son, and they can't earn their own salvation, but they're infinitely loved more than they could ever know. That's the primary role of a pastor. That's the primary role of anybody that is ministering to the needs of a faith-driven entrepreneur. So I love for them to understand that first and foremost. Second, I love for them to be able to understand the nuances about what does it look like to be able to help an entrepreneur to think redemptively about the product or service that they sell. Is there some part of what they do that might bring about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? Does the entrepreneur or business owner even have a, a mindset toward that? And it's not to say, oh, you know, gosh, you're a telecom entrepreneur. You shouldn't be doing that. You should be making shoes and giving half of them away. Quite contrary. But you, just understand, just like, you know, God can use your business. You know, as we pray every morning, the Our Father, our, you know, your kingdom come about on earth as in heaven. Does the entrepreneur play any role in that? Is there something broken that, uh, that needs to be redeemed in your industry? So that's, that's another thing. Then the next one, of course, is how, um, how to be able to bear witness with gentleness and respect with all that we come across. The lesson for me of, of the parable of the Good Samaritan is to love the person that we come across in our path. And uh, the entrepreneur comes across a lot of people on their path every day. So what does it look like to love on them? Love on them really, really well in a way that they then have an opportunity to share the reason for the hope they have with gentleness and respect. And to be able to be in relationship with that person is, uh, I think is really important for the entrepreneur. I think it's also really important for the pastor. That interaction in the marketplace and understanding what's going on in the lives of that business owner, you know, 90% of the people that are going to be in somebody's church are going to be out in the marketplace. That real world interaction out of the church office into the market uh, at the person's company is going to give them so many more opportunities to be able to have uh, uh, sermon topics that are rooted in real experience that are really, really important. Uh, not really uh, anything that uh, a pastor has to share is going to be really important because it's going to be based out of scripture, but it's going to provide these examples that the 90% of the people in marketplace are going to be able to identify with. And I think that there's a virtuous relationship that, that happens. And I think that the faith driven entrepreneur oftentimes can minister back to the church planner. Hmm. Is there uh, can the story part of things, you said you like the stories of different things. This idea of helping faith-driven entrepreneurs see the redemptive side of their, their business, possibly. Do you have an example for a pastor of that, of helping a faith-driven entrepreneur see their work differently? Like, is there an example you can think of, of what that looks like, where maybe a, a faith-driven entrepreneur does have some kind of aha awakening or sees their work differently than they did before they encounter your ministry. Yeah. Um, I think uh, we're, I'm very, very grateful for a lot of the encouragement that we get from different entrepreneurs who say they have a completely different perspective. Uh, but I want to give you some specific examples that come out of the world of, of Sovereign's Capital, uh, because it's those entrepreneurs that I've come to know and their stories the best. 
And they range again on a spectrum. And, you know, take a company like a cloud factory. Cloud factory uh, provides outsourced services and um, uh, to businesses all across the United States by using cloud labor and artificial intelligence and machine learning to be able to help automate uh, different business processes. They work with um, companies that provide uh, online expense management. If you want to see an NHL hockey game and find out who scored in the second period, there, there are thousands and thousands of cloud workers in Nepal and Kenya that do these things. And um, uh, Mark Sears, who runs that company, came to understand with thousands and thousands of employees worldwide, and he's just a world-class organization, um, what does it look like to encourage them to work together as teams in loving their community? And so you, we started this off by talking about bandwidth being in North Carolina. We've got a program at Bandwidth that I'm actually re- reasonably proud of called Bandwidth Cares. And we do uh, corporate social responsibility in Raleigh and other places where we have offices. Um, I don't know, five years ago, we probably did eight or nine of these bigger events. In that year that we did eight or nine of them, Cloud Factory did 1,000. And where we did our corporate social responsibility in places like Raleigh, where lots of companies do corporate social responsibility, they did them in Kathmandu and Nairobi, where nobody does corporate social responsibility. And so their intersection of faith and engaging the community is incredibly important. So, you know, five years ago, the earthquake happened in Kathmandu. Many, many, many cases the first responders were these cloud factory workers who had done all these community service projects and knew the different village elders and were there like, we're here to help. And the type of favor you get in being relevant is amazing. Um, and so it goes much beyond, you know, they Microsoft's a big client of theirs. I don't even know if Microsoft knew that they did that, but it goes beyond. So you've got to have the business excellence because otherwise you can't employ the 3000 people. But if you're driven by your faith and you want to be a lot, you want to be a, a just a blessing to a community, it goes beyond that. So what ends up happening there? Well, the the employees of Cloud Factory have this larger sense of meaning and purpose, which is what millennials are looking for. We're all looking for it. And so they have so low uh, employee turnover because they're working on super cool work and they've got meaning purpose and they're following a leader that's driven by something more important than just the manufacturing distribution widgets. So maybe that's kind of clear because that's in, in, in Nepal and Nairobi and the opportunity for transformation there is maybe more obvious. But, you know, I think about companies like, um, uh, I think about Five Stars. Victor Ho came out of McKinsey and Goldman Sachs and he had done a lot of research and came to understand that it's much more valuable to keep in a customer that was going to churn rather than buying a new one. It's five times more cost-effective to make sure a customer stays by giving them great service than having to go ahead and hire a new one. And so he started a company and, and he, he did that. He was thinking about that through a theological frame too, about what does it look like to love our neighbor? And he thought about the, the millions of individual shop owners around the country that had been going ahead and doing these loyalty cards and trying to say, I value you as a customer. If you buy, if you buy nine frozen yogurts, you're going to get the 10th one free. You're going to get the punch cards. You've probably all seen them. But he says, you, you know, God designed us to be in relationship with one another. How can I go ahead and create a technology that allows for a better relationship and a stickier customer relationship that brings more joy to the vendor and to the customer? So he designed five stars which is this online loyalty program. You put in your phone number and you put in your information about who you are. And then Five Stars is able to tell the coffee shop owner, this person comes in here and buys cafe lattes. Here's his name and his email address. So that when they don't show up for two months, 
Victor allows these different shop owners to go back and say, hey, John, I know you haven't been in a while. One, I know you love a latte. The next latte for you and a friend are on us. And so that, that was born out of his thought of, you know, there's something broken in the relationship between the vendor of some of these small shops where it's different. You used to be in a small town. Everybody knew each other. Well, how do we redeem that and restore that back the way it should have been? Another one, and you know, from the outside, you know, Vico, he's raised hundreds of millions of dollars of venture capital. From the outside, you might know, not know that at first glance, but his redemptive thought process about how might I redeem or restore something that's broken in a way that points to my Christian faith. How does that do that? Last example I'll give you is man crates. Man crates uh, started by a guy named John Beekman. And, and uh, it, they create these men's gift boxes that are in a crate and you get a crowbar to open them up. And they've been featured in like the NBA tonight and all these different things. And just a, a great company has done excellent work at scale. It was all born out of John believing that we were created to give gifts and that we were created in the image of the ultimate gift giver for God's so love he gave. And what can I do to make it easier for men to give? Men, in his estimation, were removed from the giving process. They were removed from the giving uh, creation process and the giving receiving process. And they didn't know how to give gifts to each other. So he came up with something that was uniquely masculine. You know, it's the crate and the crowbar and all that stuff. And it was born out of the fact that he believes that we're more alive when we can give and give well. And so each one of those 60 companies we've invested in has some level of redemption or restoration about it. Hmm. You mentioned earlier uh, the disciple-making process or disciple-making. Where or if at all does disciple-making fit into what you're doing in terms of the equipping process? Yeah, uh, I hope. So, you know, we are we work with faith-driven entrepreneurs. Our audience are faith-driven entrepreneurs, uh, men and women with a Christian faith. And so ours is not so much an evangelism ministry. Um, I'm starting to come, uh, starting to know some really neat Christ followers that have a more of a secular outreach to entrepreneurs that do not yet have a Christian faith. But ours is primarily to those who already have a Christian faith and want to run their business to the glory of God, but don't know how to do it. And so ours should be all about discipleship. It should be all about discipleship. It should be about uh, helping them to understand, first and foremost, their relationship with, with God. Uh, it should be about helping them understand their identity in Christ. It should be about helping them to understand how to navigate through times when they might be willful versus being faithful. It's about helping them to understand God's plan and purpose in their industry and in their company. It's about helping them understand how to know God more fully by parenting well how they can use the model of God, the father as a way to be able to be a better, albeit dim shadow of that as they look to parent their children. It, it's about helping them to understand how to love their, their wives well and how to, um, uh, and the unique challenges that happen with a faith-driven entrepreneur or business owner that's struggling with, how do I love my bride like Christ loved the church when I'm working this hard? And, you know, I come home from work and I don't want to talk about work and I just want to talk about anything else. And yet we're missing this opportunity to be able to invite our spouses in uh, about how they might better pr pray for us. And these are the men and women we're married to that know us better than anybody else. Some of the best business counsel I'll ever get is from my wife. Um, so what does that look like? So all these things are just a, it's a 
it's a it's not it's not a justification course it's a sanctification process of the individual as they're working out their faith with what God has uniquely equipped them to do and called them to do with the special gifts and talents but i my sense is that you can go a couple of different ways in the discipleship journey as a business owner you can go to the highly compartmentalized version which is like a black and white tv or you can go to this space where it's technicolor, where you can see now, oh my goodness, I can see how all of what I do and I'm called to do uniquely sets me up in a place where I can glorify God more fully and experience his joy in what I do. And it's like the light turning on and yet it's still a lot of work, but being able to find a community of a whole bunch of other people that are processing the same thing. Sorry, I had a phone in the background. I can't shut off. No, that's fine. Uh, the uh, for for our audience, Henry, we um, at Exponential, we use what we call a three dimensional model of multiplication. We're we're all about multiplication, seeing healthy churches reproduce, and and so we focus a lot on what is healthy reproduction, what is multiplication, and our simple three dimensions are disciple making at the core mobilization, those really would be the two key ingredients. How do we have everyday missionaries where they work, live, and play who are mobilized there to make disciples? And and then the third dimension is just capacity building or scaling. Then how do you scale the disciple making and the mobilization parts as, as sort of the infrastructure part of it? So disciple making, mobilization, capacity building. And for our audience, I just want to highlight that in the idea of the calling space, primary calling, all Christians everywhere, all the time, we're to be disciples who make disciples wherever we are, whether it's the marketplace, whether it's halfway around the world, wherever it might be, we've got that common calling of being disciples who make disciples where we are. But then our secondary callings that make us unique and different, how do we contribute to the primary by the unique giftedness God's given each of us in the different unique settings that we're in? And it's and the church then represents this beautiful mosaic of all these secondary callings to engage. And I think what's important for our guys and gals to keep in mind right now when you know that might be saying well so what faith-driven entrepreneurs they need to go do their business thing this idea of reproducing and multiplying and scaling the church to be bigger than an individual church but to impact an entire geographic area like you said at the beginning it just simply can't happen without seeing everybody is an everyday missionary and these Faith-driven entrepreneurs are such a big part of the impact and the influence throughout society that we are just missing such an important part of scaling this reproduction and multiplication of the church if we skip out on the the faith-driven entrepreneurs. So um, yeah. uh, there isn't as much a question there. You can comment on that, but I'm we wanting to highlight for our audience the importance of it. As you're talking, of course, I, I think about... Um, and I don't have as great a command of scripture as I'd like to have. And it's not like every single time somebody says something, a verse comes to mind. Um, I wish, I, I hope to get there. Um, uh, and you know, I've had this 22 
year period now where I've spent a little bit of time in scripture just about every day. And I'm trying to step that up. That's a new thing I'm working on now. How do I do more of that? But in this case is first Peter 4.10, right? Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And so we have people in our churches that are entrepreneurs and business owners. And so it actually makes me think coming back full circle to North Carolina, there's a wonderful entrepreneur named Mark Peel, who runs, uh, was the uh, head of the children's hospital in Raleigh, where you live, at Wake Med Children's Hospital. And he started a company called 410 Medical, based on 1 Peter 410, uh, as he looks to faithfully administer the giftings that he has, as he creates life-saving medical devices that are now used in saving thousands of lives to get fluid into people much faster. As it turns out, the amount of fluid you need to get in is four, I don't know, four milligrams, 10 ounces or something like that. So the 410 thing all works out, but um, we absolutely have an opportunity to be able to work with the Mark Peels in our congregation to help them to understand that the giftings he has as a guy who is a medical device entrepreneur has a very important role in God's kingdom beyond just the manufacturing of the device, making money from it and funding the work of the local church. The very process of creating a device to save lives while bearing witness to why Mark does it. Every time Mark talks at any conference around the world, he talks about what it is, why he had this vision, how he sees it working out, and giving credit and, and, and being, being able to bear witness. So as you're, those church leaders that you have can recognize that there are entrepreneurs like, like Mark Peel in their congregations and to encourage them. Um, that becomes a big deal. It's about, I, th I think that that's part of the seeds of revival. I'm, I'm sure you have metrics for how you're tracking, you know, the, the, the direction you're headed in the ministry and its impact. If you were the one nothing vote and could put dashboard metrics or metrics in place for pastors and churches, the lead pastors and churches, and let's say church planters in this case, What's the number one metric you you would be measuring if you were a lead pastor or church planter relative to the faith-driven entrepreneur side of things? You know, pastors are good at counting total attendance and total offering and baptisms, and but what's the metrics we ought to be using in this area of the faith-driven entrepreneur? Yeah. So yes, for one, but I'm a I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm slightly nonconformist. So I'm going to give you two answers. <laughs> one is that. Um, is to measure um, how many meetings are you having out in the marketplace in a particular quarter with business owners or entrepreneurs and just understanding who they are, how they're working out their faith every day uh, through, through what they do. Uh, that, that I think is really important, getting out of the church or getting out of the restaurant, getting out and visiting people. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's one, if you want to have a metric and a dashboard, the second one though, is kind of, it's a, it's kind of an all or nothing thing is have you created within your church, a place for entrepreneurs to gather, um, business owners to gather. So an entrepreneur, this is important to say, an entrepreneur is not just a Silicon Valley entrepreneur that's venture funded. No, no. An entrepreneur is a business owner. Oftentimes it's a church planner. It's somebody who's responsible for setting the culture and vision of a company or of an enterprise. And 
Are you providing an opportunity for those people to come together, to minister to each other, to pray for each other, to be able to encourage each other through the challenges that they're having with partners or growth or, um, or failure? Are you creating that space? Do you have a strategy on how to get people? Because otherwise what happens is you get everybody together on Sunday and among your your congregation of 100 or 800, there are a whole bunch of different faith-driven entrepreneurs and business owners that feel very, very lonely through what they do on Monday through Saturday. But they don't even know that three rows ahead of them is another guy with the same type of a company. And if you can get all those people together to be able to, to just to encourage each other and to challenge each other about living their faith out in the marketplace, that is great. So if you're a pastor and you say, gosh, I'm just never going to be able to understand what it looks like to raise venture capital or to hire a fire, and, but they can, they can. But if they were to say, I can't do that, just creating a space where you find a couple of those and say, can you self-organize? And then we can put an announcement in the bulletin that if you are a, are, are a business owner or an entrepreneur and uh, we've got a group of people to get together to pray for each other, that's a huge win. It's really easy to do because entrepreneurs are problem solvers. You go to them and say, I want to you know, figure it out. They'll figure it out. And you can give them some tools. And yes, we have some tools on the Fature and Entrepreneur website. But first one is, am I getting out in the marketplace? And if so, how many times a quarter? Number two, have I created a place so that entrepreneurs and business owners can get together inside my congregation? Mm. To play off of that, then, you know, P- Peter Drucker, father of modern management, you know, he's got his five important questions for any organization. The first being, who's the customer? The second, what do they value? And the third, how are you going to deliver that value? So if I'm if I'm profiling this customer of the faith-driven entrepreneur, what are their top couple of needs that, th- that they're needing help with in this space? Well, the first one is so pithy and cliche, uh, but it's, they need Jesus. They need Jesus. They need Jesus and they need to understand how their faith is manifest in their own work and how they can come to know God more fully by using their giftings and their talents and uh, in a way that brings him glory. And in doing that, they'll find a sense of joy and peace. They need Jesus. They need to, they need community. Being an entrepreneur, as I talked about before, is it's just remarkably lonely. Uh, so they um, so they need community. They need, um, they need meaning and purpose that goes beyond the manufacturing distribution of a widget. They need um, practical ways to be able to um, think about things like money. Uh, and that's a dangerous thing because a lot of pastors will say, well, I can tell you what you can do with the excess money you have, but they need to be thoughtful about the biblical message of generosity, which is, I credit, you know, at age at 28, I came to faith in this church, Church of the Good Shepherd in North Carolina. At 38, a guy named Daryl Hill found me, found me and said, you know, why do you give? And that set me in this new trajectory. I call it my born again, again moment when I came to understand how I can experience God more fully through giving more. Um uh, they need to think about practical things like money. They need to think through practical things like hiring and firing. Um, those are the big three. Hmm. Okay. Well, relative to the book for, as we wind down here, um, if you would, there. let's start with, there's a number of related resources. You've got a video series. Just talk a little bit about access that people have to other, you know, when, when you engage in the book, there's some other resources that you 
have access to also. Indeed, indeed. And, and I should also mention the book um, has a really good Ford uh, in it by Lecrae, uh, uh, who's a recording artist uh, and a real and a popular one. Uh, uh, when I talked about my co-authors with my boys, they just kind of their eyes glazed over a little bit, although they like J.D. and Chip. But when I mentioned Lecrae, all of a sudden it became relevant. <laughs> and then uh, but also J.D. Greer, who's a good friend um, in North Carolina. And, you know, J.D., you're also friends with J.D. And then Chip Ingram, who is my pastor out here. And I've known him for a long time, even when I was in North Carolina and just a guy that I've gotten to do some great traveling with. So great teaching from them. And then they have both additional teaching resources beyond the book through the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Ministry. And uh, with JD's on JD's side, it's uh, JD has helped us to develop an eight-part video series that helps an entrepreneur understand their their spiritual journey uh, through the marks of a Faith Driven Entrepreneur, which we talk about in the book. And in each case, each one of these lessons is couched in and, and introduced by a three-minute, very well-produced by the guys from Faith and Company out of Seattle Pacific. Very well-produced three-minute video that profiles a Christian entrepreneur in the marketplace that is struggling and overcoming some aspect of what we're talking about. We have blogs. Uh, we have podcasts. We've got this conference uh, that's coming up. Uh, I don't want to time date this this interview too much, but September 8th and 9th, the Faith Driven Entrepreneur and Faith Driven Investor Conference. We didn't talk so much about Faith Driven Investor this podcast. Maybe we will on another one. Um, they're, they're coming up. And then we have just different groups and we have these city networks around, around the country. When we bring together some of these ministries we talked about, Praxis and Ocean and C12 and Convene and others, to say, okay, in a broader community outside of an individual church, but in the city of Memphis, What's the broader context of, of all the people that really care about this space? So those are some of the things. Mm. And what if, if the book, your book that's just come out, if it is wildly successful, what are you hoping happens for faith, faith-driven entrepreneurs? So your first person asked me that question. Um, and, um, but it's the same thing that I'd hope for the ministry is that, that, that and this is uh, Justin, who runs Faith Driven Entrepreneurs, asked me to stop saying this, um, but I'm going to say it here again. Um, I believe that there are more than 100 million Christian business owners and faith driven entrepreneurs around the world. My hope is that every single one of them comes to understand that there's a God who loves them and that their work matters to, to Him. And that they can come to understand and know him more fully through the work they do as they seek to create a redemptive product or service, as they seek to love their partners, vendors, customers, employees as themselves, and, um, and that there's revival and transformation. And people see the work of Christ followers in the marketplace. Um, and there's massive revival and God's kingdom comes about on earth as it is in heaven. So it, it, I hope that the blogs and the podcast and the conference and, yes, the book are some small part in that that coming. It's not important whether people know more about the FDE ministry. It's more important that they know that there's a community and they're a part of a tribe and that they feel so compelled by it that they want to take that movement to other places as well. And that's the, the hallmark of a good movement where somebody says, yes, this is something that's transforming my life. I can't help but to take this good news that God can use me in my faith of entrepreneurship to others as well. They need to come more alive in their, as they own a business the same way I have. And I want to take that message to the world. And so that's, that's the, the big, hairy, audacious goal. Well, I want to thank you for being on today, Henry. This has been uh, really good. And I want to encourage people to, uh, 
to pick up the book. I think um, there is such an opportunity for churches at this point. We just have to think a little bit differently about, um, you know, we're, we're, we're so often, you know, I'm going to say the catch and consume of, of seeing people as resources to help run the church. And we've just really got to see these faith-driven entrepreneurs as frontline missionaries that we can uh, really come alongside disciple and help mobilize into transforming uh, society. So I appreciate the work you're doing and it's been good to talk with you. I do too. I'm grateful for the work that you're doing and for your audience and for anybody who's listened this far in this podcast, I'm grateful for you. That's a great encouragement. And uh, I hope that we uh, might be able to serve you in the future. Thank you for having me on. Oh, thank you.